That was so wonderful to pray and to sing and worship the Lord now over the word. Let me pray once again and ask for his unique help. Father, give to us by your Holy Spirit quickness of mind and focus and attentiveness to your word. Give to me clarity of speech and zeal and passion that matches the truths that you have granted me to behold and commends to your people, those watching by live stream or recording, those present here in the room, the glories of Proverbs 18 and the gospel of Christ here for all to see. Transform us from one degree of glory into another as we gaze upon you as you stand forth from Proverbs 18. And, and make us new and ever new people modeling and showing forth all the excellencies of your glory as we live our daily lives, as we speak, as we permit certain emotions to remain as, and, and reject others, as we dwell on certain thoughts and jettison others, as we strike up relationships and ministries, sell and buy, live and die. May you see yourself in us. May the world see you in us. May we see our, you in us. May we ourselves know ourselves fully devoted to Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My reason for going through the book of Proverbs in the summer of 2023 here at the landing is because I have seen glorious realities in the book of Proverbs that tie it together with gospel glory that has elevated the book of Proverbs in a way far higher than I used to think about the book of Proverbs. I used to think about it as just a handbook. I used to think about it as just a handbook with all kinds of different topics and individual verses in it, much like a tool chest where you would go in and grab the right tool for the right question. And that's how lots and lots of people think about the book of Proverbs. It's got all these disparate little verses in it that all seem to be applied to one certain specific situation or another, but they all seem to just are jumbled together. It's all a, it's all a salad of God's Bible. But in fact, it's not a salad or a toolbox. It's actually a covenant description of how those who are saved by the grace of God walk with him in daily lives. It's a beautiful picture of the way the grace of God is on display through the people of God. To say it more specifically, God in all his character means to be seen through the way his people mirror and live out his character. So the goal of the writer of Proverbs, mostly Solomon, some other writers joining in, is to make sure that the covenant people act and show off their lives as to who they are in God. That their lives don't jarringly say something false and different than what their gospel claim says. So I've chose Proverbs chapter 2 and last week chapter 8 and now this week chapter 18. And I'm going to draw out individual verses from the entire chapter of Proverbs 18. Hold it out in front of you so that you can see many different verses here. To see here the character of God as you and I would live it out. In fact, you'll see five different features of the character of God and how they impact our daily lives. 
I'm going to invite you to ask a new question. Maybe you haven't asked before, but we'll ask it often during the course of our time talking together. And I hope you add it into your life and into your prayer life and ask it often. It's not what would Jesus do, WWJD. It's what is Jesus doing, WIJD. What would Jesus do sounds like he's not here and we have to imagine what he would do if he was here. Asking the question more biblically informed, what is Jesus doing means, oh, he's here. I am with you even to the end of the age, he said. And he's here. And he's doing something. So what is he doing? What is he doing? What do I join in with that my Lord is doing when I'm confronted with a difficult question? When I'm confronted with difficult news health-wise, what is Jesus doing here? When someone gossips about me, Pause. What is Jesus doing here? When someone gossips to me about someone else, what is Jesus doing? When temptation comes in like a flood, ask, what is Jesus doing? When you encounter natural disaster or health news or relationship breakdown or mood changes or job changes or friends fail you or foes assail you, bad news hits or even good news arrives in all things, ask, what is Jesus doing? The answer to the question, what is Jesus doing, comes from seeing his character and his nature, his glory, or as the Bible says so often, his name on display. Look at the key verse which forms the theme for all of Proverbs 18, the focus of our time together. Proverbs 18, verse 10. You've heard it, you know it well. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The character, the being, the, the identity, the reputation, the glory of the Lord is a strong tower. When you run into the strong tower of the character of God, you always know what Jesus is doing because his character is your protection. It's the lighthouse that draws you out of the fog and safely lands the ship of your faith. It's the lighthouse that you stand inside when the mighty waves crash over in tsunami fashion. It's the tower that you stand inside from a position of safety when the enemies of temptation and persecution lay siege against your life. The name of the Lord, his character, his ways are a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Solomon knows this, and he's telling this to his children. Pastors know this, and they tell this to their people. Coaches know this, and they tell this to their players. CEOs know this, and they tell this to their employees. This is how good leaders lead. They put the vision of God in front of their people so that it seeps in to the children, the recipients, the players, the co-workers, the employees. And they then have the character of God transforming them from the inside out as the New Testament repeats so often. And then when it comes time to ask the question, what is Jesus doing in this difficult, challenging question I'm now faced with? They lean on, they take refuge in, they find their fortress and their protection, the very character of God. They know what God is like and they know what God is doing and they don't need some specific detailed answer. Ooh, quick, I better look up. G for gossip. What should I do in the moment of gossip? No, no. I've got the character of God 
coursing through me and I'm hiding, residing safe inside the tower of God's character. And I know exactly what to do. Psalm 9, verse 9 and 10 says the same. The Lord, it's in all caps, just like in Proverbs 18, 10, meaning the Lord of life, Yahweh, the ever-living one, the covenant God of Israel, and now our covenant God by faith in Christ. The Lord is a stronghold, same idea, strong tower, for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. That's the idea of Proverbs 18.10. He's the Lord of life. He knows and rules over all. Nothing surprises him. His character is sufficient for all. There is not a problem your children will ever face for which the character of God is insufficient. Praise his name. There is never a problem you nor this church will ever face for which the character of God is not sufficient. That's exactly why every healthy church should have doctrinal questions built into every service. The character of God is the strong tower we run into. And in Proverbs chapter 18, I want to show you five windows in that tower. The children, no matter what your age is, have a page to color that my daughter drew of a tower. And it has the light of God shining down on it. And, and it has windows in it. If you wanted to know my outline, here is a list of five characters of God. Notice the beginning letter of each one. The Lord is just, or J. The Lord is earnest, E. You won't find that in too many systematic theologies. But it's here. It's in this passage. The Lord is the sage, S, the wise one. Fourth, the Lord is united, U. And finally, the Lord speaks life, S again. Be sure to see what that spells. First, the Lord is just. The first window in the strong tower that we would learn from Proverbs 18 in order that we might be equipped to answer every question and equip those around us is that God is just. Look at Proverbs 18.3 and 18.5. When wickedness comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes disgrace. The opposite of wickedness is justice. And you can see that two verses later in verse 5. It is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous of justice. Both verses, one by contrast negatively, one positively, say that God is a God of justice. That's his character. Now you who know him and love him, go live out justice. Be men and women who people come to for a fair answer. Be so filled with the glory and worth and name of God that his justice comes through you and people can bring their concerns to you when they, when they need to know right from wrong or how is this justly figured out or how should we uh, solve this question or adjudicate this thorny problem. You know justice. Solomon was known for his justice. Solomon writes of the Spirit's gift of justice to the people who trust in God. Paul, the apostle, hundreds of years later, wrote the same thing in great detail in one of the most important passages in the Bible, Romans 3. For there is no distinction, there he meant, between Jew or Greek, Jew or Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Paul says to the Romans, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, 
whom God put forward as a propitiation, an absorption of his wrath by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. God looked unjust when he gave grace to Israel, but in the death of his son, all the grace given to Israel and all the grace given to Gentiles throughout time and history is warranted, paid for, founded, given basis in the death and the payment of the blood shed by Christ on the cross. Verse 26, it was to show God's righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in him. The first window is God is just. We have been justified by God's just character that he works in us as he took and laid our guilt upon Christ on the cross and then took Christ's righteousness, the sinless life he lived, and imputed it to us so that we are in his sight declared righteous. That then will lead to a life of justice. We will not only say, come and know my God and be justified from your sins, but I now know with clarity of mind like no one else how to adjudicate justice in all manner of human interaction. David said in Psalm 51, deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. What happens, David, when you're, when you're freed of your guilt? What happens? My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Then I'll go tell everyone I have found the freedom from sin and guilt from my guilt before God in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I will proclaim his justice and his justice will be on display. And that justice that comes from God into the human heart, proclaimed to others, received then in Jesus' name, has a transformative effect. In the mid-1830s, Hawaii was a set of islands filled with tribal violence and bloodshed, pagan warring and hatred. The lifespan was in the 20s. For average adults, corruption, violence, dishonesty, illness of every incurable sort, warfare, poverty marked the tribal peoples that lived on the Hawaiian Islands up until about the 1830s. When tsunami waves and volcanoes devastated the land and it became into the, into the mind of several Christian voices, I found actually three Christian missionary agencies got it within their minds to send workers to the Hawaiian islands as had happened among the New Hebrides and other islands and see if the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ couldn't bring the good news of salvation to the Hawaiian people and ultimately then not only lead them to faith in Jesus Christ for eternity, but rebuild their very lives on those islands. Well, revival erupted like a volcano, some say twice, not the volcano, but the revival. Under the preaching of several Christian missionaries in the mid-1800s, local kings believed and declared their entire tribes Christian. Thousands were saved. Order, honesty, kindness, generosity, peace, and the restructuring of family marked the island paradise in mere decades. Churches, communities, schools, hospitals, 
Cities, villages, entire industries arose, and everyone's life was improved, not just for this life, but for the life to come. Not everyone was saved, but the revival is real, documented, and powerful. May the Lord again send believers to apply justice, blood-bought justice and mercy, to that needy part of the world at this moment and all like it. Because God is just and his justice protects us like a strong tower, we too are justice makers in his name. That's on display here as one of the windows. What would Jesus do? Well, actually, what is Jesus doing? He's working justice out in the world, then as now, and until he returns. E, the Lord is earnest. I didn't find this in any systematic theology. I didn't find anybody say this. So you test this. You see if it's here. What I mean by earnest is faithful, diligent, persistent, trustworthy, zealous, unfailing in his love. If God is earnest, if, if God is leaning in toward his people, if God is inclined to continually bring the good news of his love to a resistant and hardened world, if that earnestness marks God, then see if you don't find it here. It will be the next window in this strong tower. What is Jesus doing right now? He is earnestly seeking his people around the world. I get that hinted and hinted at in verses 22 and 24. First, look at verse 22, down near the end of Proverbs 18. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And that verb finds that shows up twice is this earnest idea of pursuing or seeking. That's where I get the idea of earnest. He who earnestly finds a wife earnestly finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. You see the Lord's name? It's in all caps, meaning Yahweh, the gracious I am. That word favor we saw back in Proverbs 8.35 last week, and that's why I chose this chapter. Favor is ratzon. The Greek term is charis. It means grace. All is well because a debt has been paid. And if a man earnestly seeks to find a wife, he finds a good thing and obtains a grace from the Lord. Like Isaac seeking a bride, like Boaz seeking Ruth, like Christ himself seeking his church, the picture of an earnest man seeking a bride isn't just the normal way the universe works. Stunning that that has to be declared. Or scientifically proven billions of times, also stunning that that has to be declared. Or biologically necessary for human flourishing, that too stunningly has to be declared. Therefore, it's morally right, but much more than all these realities is that every time a man earnestly seeks a wife and earnestly loves her, God is earnestly putting his gospel on display. I see it also in verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Another Hebrew word, which means perseveres, remains, inclines, stays connected. This is the kind of God we have. If, just think about it. If, if God quit pursuing me the first time I resisted him, what hope would I have? If God quit pursuing you the first time you resisted him, what hope would you have? He is the friend in Jesus Christ who sticks closer than a brother. He's got stick to That's the earnestness that I'm focusing on. It's this idea that he pursues and he dives in and he seeks us. 
Spurgeon used to call him the heavenly hound who sniffs out his own in order to gather them for heaven. Just like the Proverbs, here's the opposite of earnestness. Look at verses, verse 1 of chapter 18. Verse 1. Whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. Hmm. You can think about that for the rest of the afternoon, couldn't you? Whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. What that means is the natural, selfish flesh wants my way, and I don't want anybody else to see or know about it. I've got my own secrets, and I don't want anybody to know. I want to do things my way, and I want to be my own person. And being my own person means God nor anyone else has the right to tell me what to do. That's a person who then loses the capacity to have sound judgment. They don't think wisely or speak justice anymore. That word judgment is related to the word for justice. They can't see justice anymore. They can't speak justice anymore. They're not a useful voice for justice on the earth anymore. And they don't see and value and treasure God's justice. Have you ever thought about that? That private inward bent that says, I'm not submitting to anybody. I'm not opening myself up to people that are just going to judge me or, or betray me or or hurt me with the information they get about me, I'm not going to make myself that vulnerable. Do you ever realize that that thought process, taken to its fullest extreme, stops you from having the ability to value God's judgment? That's what this verse says. And yet privacy, isolation, the lack of ability to have a face-to-face conversation, the lack of ability to deeply enjoy the friendship of one another is marking our very society and even some of our churches. God is earnest. He is faithful, persistent, trustworthy, trustworthy, eager to save. Christ, his son, is earnest. So we are earnest. A few years ago, a British pop singer named Adele penned a song with this lyric. Listen carefully. Hello. From the other side, I must have called a thousand times. That's not earnest. That's pathological. I don't mean that. What I mean by earnest is this beautiful picture. A father grieving, sitting daily by a window, looking down the lane, twirling a ring on his finger he can't wait to take off and place on his son's. Over the chair behind him is draped his best robe, and all his servants await his nod. His wife sits behind him, her head bowed, her hands folded, Bible open, praying. It's the same every day. Will he come home today? Then a figure appears in the distance, tired, thin, slow, timid. And the father's heart leaps. It's him. He says, and he dashes off with his treasures. That's earnest. If there's someone you are praying for, calling a thousand times a day is not the answer. Earnestness with the Father is an eager leaning in, not being the one to pull away, not being the one to wipe your hands of it, not being the one to walk away, not being the one to cut off, not being the one to end things, but the one who leans in 
That's the earnest father. That's the earnestness of believers who bear the father's name and character. What is Jesus doing? He's pursuing unbelievers all across the face of the earth. He's pursuing unbelievers in your family and in your community and in, among your neighbors and among the nations. So much more comes to mind. Let's press on. J, justice. E, earnest. S, the Lord is the sage. He's wise. Look at verse 4. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. The wisdom we speak as covenant members of God hiding inside his tower and taking on his character is the wisdom that comes itself from God. That's what James chapter 1 says. If you lack wisdom, God who gives wisdom will supply it generously and without upbraiding. All wisdom comes from God. It bubbles up inside like a bubbling brook here in verse 4. Jesus said it this way in John 7, whoever believes in me as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Proverbs 18, 17 confirms this. Look at verse 17. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. What does that verse mean? It means somebody, God, has all knowledge of all scenarios. It means God knows everybody's story and all angles of it. He knows all that has happened past, present, and future and all that is currently happening everywhere. He also knows all possibilities that never actually take place. God is omniscient, and he gives his wisdom generously and freely, freely to all who ask. So do not be the one who speaks quickly. Be the one who is slow to say, I'm ready to judge. For in fact, I've only heard one side of the story. This wisdom was what I was craving in a new and earnest way that I never thought I would ever need. In fact, I was on the edge of my experience with this wisdom a month ago when I was invited to be on a jury in downtown Duluth. Jury duty at the courthouse uh, wasn't a new experience for me. I'd been invited before. I was out of the country previously, but this was the first time I'd actually made it on to a jury and received the instructions from the judge, and I was actually hearing evidence and actually hearing the testimony from a witness and a victim. It was actually heartrending. All the while, the judge instructed us Make sure to be slow to pass judgment. Make sure to listen to all the evidence. Make sure that it's beyond a reasonable doubt. And he gave us all these important instructions. And I thought, man, I've heard these phrases all my life, but now I'm responsible for, to do them so that this decision comes out correctly. God says, I have all wisdom. I know all things, past, present, and future. I know all that has come to pass and shall come to pass. I declare the end from the beginning, says the Lord, Isaiah 46.10. He knows the whole story. Those inside the tower who bear his character and live in God have that wisdom. And those outside the tower find their wisdom waning. Look at verse 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Wow, have I ever done that a lot. That verse convicts me. I wrote in my notes, how many times have I done this? Verse 13, again, wisdom outside the tower wanes. If one gives an answer before he hears, it's his folly and shame. God who knows all does not merely speak his opinion as one voice among many. When God speaks, it's not opinion, but oracle. 
So we who are in the strong tower, we will be slow to speak and quick to listen if we bear the wisdom of our God. We will ask in pause, what is Jesus doing here? In this moment, in this conversation, in this disagreement, in this parenting challenge, in this work meeting, in this witnessing encounter, in this ministry decision, what is Jesus doing here? That question creates faith in Christ, slows us down to receive all information, and gives us an answer from his word. Again, James 1 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. God is just, he is earnest, he is sage, and now he's united. So thankful that God led Larry to lead us in this way at the very beginning of our service. Look at Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. That's a picture of our union with God. God himself, Lord, you see it in all caps there in verse 10, is the I am. He's united with himself. Israel saying, our Yahweh is one. And all those who are in him are one, the covenant people of Israel. And then after Christ, all the Gentiles who are covenant people by faith in Christ are one with him, united with him. Proverbs 18 describes in two different places what that union with God produces. It's a beautiful picture. If you ponder and think about the fact that you're united with God, he's united and you're united with him, you have a humility that comes over you. Look at verse 12. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. Haughtiness comes from being separate from God, distinct from God. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I'm my own person. I'm separate from God. But, verse 12, humility comes before honor. Pride leads to destruction and a fall, but humility results in honor. Verse 16 confirms the same thing. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. So humble, God-centered persons love to honor God and honor others for the honor of God. They bring gifts, as it were, to recognize their humility and to honor the one to whom they give gifts. So we find Proverbs 3.34 coming to pass. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The proud are quick to take offense. They look down at other people and feel justified in avoiding them. They make very few friends themselves and they blame others for their loneliness. The proud know God only from a distance and find themselves quick to anger, quick to speak, and slow to be wisdom, slow to be wise. Why? Because deep inside, the proud lies a fracture from God and division within their own hearts. The answer to the pride in all of us, me and you, is a, is a singular and sweet answer from the Scripture. The union with Christ God made us for and we all long for. Come to the tower. Come into the character of God. The door of entrance is low. Bow low in humility to enter and find yourself safe in God. I have several people in my life whom I cherish deeply, and the older I get and the longer my friendships with them continue, the more I cherish them. I'm thinking of one individual. He's, he's like this, and I'm going to tell you his name. I'm going to brag on him a little bit. 
He's like this. He knows God and he, and he spends time in God's word and in God's character and he knows it well and he's done well in teaching it to his family and now his grandchildren. And, and I know that when I can go to him, I'll find a just word. And I know that when I go to him, he's going to lean in with earnestness toward me. And I know that when I go to him, he's going to be able to speak humility to me that, that only comes clearly from the fact that he's united with the Lord and wants me to be too. His name is Vaughn Blackburn. We served together on pastoral staff in Minneapolis for some years. We've stayed close friends ever since. He's this kind of man in my life. And, and, and I admire him for it. And I want to be more like that for him and for my wife and my son and daughter-in-law and my daughter. I want to be that for you. And I want to help foster and foment this kind of person in our faith family. Finally, justice, earnestness sage wisdom, united, and now the Lord speaks life. You get that from Proverbs 18, 20, and 21. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. That idea of fruit is where life kicks in. You immediately think of life-giving fruit. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. That word yield is what term is used for crops as they bear their yield their outcome, their seed for eating. Death and life, there it is explicitly, are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Oh, the power of our speech. We who are made in the image of God speak out the very truths of God. Having dwelt inside the tower of the character of God, we pause for a second and say, what is Jesus doing? And out comes a word, an apple of gold in a setting of silver, as Solomon says elsewhere. You can see it, how it's offensive and brings death in verse 19. Look down to verse 19. A brother offended, that is a dear one, one close to you, having heard a painful word. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. And then you can see words are involved in the second half of that verse. And quarreling is like the bars of a castle. It's very hard to bring to an end a horns locked quarrel, especially between two people who know better that they should be loving and caring for each other as brothers. Verse 23 confirms the same. The poor use entreaties. They come humbly, and their words are entreaties. They're humble, their requests, their supplications. But the rich, the one proud in his or her wealth, the one with arrogance and self-esteem through the roof, answers roughly. God himself, by his character, speaks life. You might remember from last week in Proverbs 8, verse 35, we read, For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor, there it is again, grace from the Lord, Yahweh, the ever-existent one from whom all life comes. God is just. J. God is earnest, E. God is sage, S. God is united, U. God speaks life, S. If you're one of the little ones, you come up later and tell me what that spells. As the missions team reminded us so powerfully, here's the closing passage on my mind. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. If you're not in the tower, today is the day and the hour by which you should come into the tower. Come into the tower. If you're a young person and you have never trusted in Christ and said, I believe in you, Jesus, I want to dwell safely inside your protection, inside your character and name. Maybe you've said it in other ways and don't say it quite the way I do, but if, if you see in this verse this strong tower and you want to come in and you're not in it yet, then today is the day. Enter the tower. Come, re receive him, and he will happily and quickly receive you. No matter what comes next for your life, no matter what God has planned for you, for your family, or for us as a faith family, we who love Christ are hidden in the strong tower of Jesus with God. Now we have the great privilege to show ourselves, one another, our friends, even our enemies, what God's character is like. Let's pray. I ask often, Lord Jesus, what you are doing in my life. I ask often, what are you doing at the landing? I ask often in conversations while I'm listening or conversing with part of my brain, I ask, what, Jesus, are you doing here? How is your character on display? How would you have me continue to display something of your glory? Lord, we have many opportunities for conversations now. Even though without a meal and a meal later at the picnic, we have opportunities to go out and enjoy your creation and Covenant Park. We have opportunities in this week to come and in the, the days laid out for us to come to demonstrate your strong tower character, your protective character over us. We receive from you, Father, what Solomon's children received from him, and that is this fatherly counsel to enter the strong tower of God's character, his name, his glory, and live it out. Would you help us? Would you help us, Lord? There are questions some of us are facing right now today that your character is the appointed answer for. Would you help us? I thank you so much for those you might be drawing to yourself through this vision that you've given to us of your glory in Proverbs 18.10. Now, make it come to pass. Let the whole world see what you're like through us, Lord. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing to our God in response to his word. Mm -hmm.